Howdy folks, today we're going to be thinking about some yummy cookies. I'm going to tell you what, this time of year in the United States of America, a lot of families have traditions, some of which my family has where November and December is a time where Cooking is happening and baking is happening and sweet treats are around the house. I don't know how you're getting this podcast, but if you go over to my YouTube or or Rumble and you look at that uh, picture I've got there, Katrina has been baking. I put some pictures up there where you can see the chocolate chip cookie sandwiches she's making and the blueberry thumbprint cookies with pecans and she's still going to be in there baking more cookies sugar cookies and i don't know what else she's got in store i know she's made some fudge we've got some sweets in our house and when you look at the history of mankind Sweets have definitely been around for thousands of years. In Proverbs chapter 24, verses 13 and 14, My son, eat thou honey, because it is good, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul when thou hast found it. Then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. Obviously, sweets have been around for a while, and they've been used to not only enjoy in the physical sense, but also to make spiritual applications like you just heard, or in other verses. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, when we think about sweets and hear the comparison, the word of God being like sweets. Why is that comparison stick? Because most people like sweets. The illustrations can be made using sweets, like in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Hey, hey, don't confuse the two. There's a difference between sweet and bitter. Why? Because people generally get that. Food in general have been a long part of the enjoyment of human existence. Celebrations and all types of different things often have food involved. Think of think about feast. You know, think about great amounts of food. Back in Genesis 19, in the first three verses, there came two angels at Sodom and even Lot sat in the gate of Sodom and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night. Wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we'll abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned unto him and entered in his house. And he made them a feast and did break unleavened bread, and they did eat. In Genesis 21, 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. In Egypt, Genesis 40 and verse 20, came the past the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. So feast, food, of course, you know, if you're studying through the law of Moses, there were many feast days that God commanded and instructed the children of Israel to hold, like reading whole chapters like Leviticus chapter 23, Food, great amounts of food, lots of food, abundant food. Most people like that. You know, I, I used to weigh 320 pounds. I'm still still on the much lighter side of that, but I put on a few pounds in recent years since I've stopped running. Um, not anywhere near where I used to be, but I'll tell you what, I like food. Uh, food is enjoyable, especially, and I didn't used to be a guy that enjoyed sweets as much as I do now, but I don't know. As I get older, I guess I've gotten a sweet tooth uh, and like them more and more than I used to. Used to be, I'd rather have an extra piece of, of chicken or another burger or more whatever uh, rather than have dessert, but now it's kind of like, yeah, I'm looking forward to that dessert just a little bit. 
uh, more and more. Food, it, it's enjoyable, right? I mean, we're, we're thankful for that, uh, thankful for the food that we have. And it's not just for nutritional value. We can get pleasure from food. Food can be used to solve all kinds of problems because, you know what, people like food. I want you to think back, 1 Samuel chapter 25. There's an account here where there is a woman named Abigail, and she has a husband that's just dumb. He does something dumb. I want you to hear what happens, and I want you to hear what part food had to play in bringing about at least a form of peace. In 1 Samuel 25, beginning verse 1, Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him, buried him in the house at Ramah, and David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. There was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. The man was very great. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, the name of his wife, Abigail. She is a woman of good understanding, of beautiful countenance, but the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. Kind of interesting to think about the description here of Nabal and what is said about him. Churlish, that word means that he was hard, that he was, you know, somewhat uh, cruel, that he was a person that was stubborn. So think about a man like that, right? So that's who we're going to be talking about and then how food plays in here. So David heard in verse, verse 4, verse Samuel 25, in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep, and David sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Get ye up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him my name. Thus you shall say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we hurt them not, neither were they out missing unto them, all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thy eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand, unto thy servants, and to thy son David. So let me back up here, just in case you're not familiar with what's going on in the history. It's kind of important to the context, and probably should have given this ahead of time, but, but here it is nonetheless now. David is God's chosen king. He God has rejected Saul from being king over the children of Israel because Saul rebelled against the will of God back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where God sent Saul to destroy the Amalekites. And he didn't entirely do all that God had him to do, blame the people, etc. But David has all along been God's choice to replace him as king. And David, though, does not want to take the kingdom by force. Saul knows that David is the threat for his replacement. So Saul's been trying to kill David. David's essentially out on the run. So what David brings up here to Nabal through his messengers, or what he's going to bring up through the messengers, is, you know, your your men have been among uh, areas that I've been, and we've been at peace, and we haven't done anything. So David's asking food of him. You know, Israel knows the state of what's going on between David and Saul. And David's looking to use the opportunity to, to get some food for his for his soldiers, for his men, for those that are encamped uh, with him. He's counting upon the kindness of Nabal to do so because David has somewhat of a history with his servants. So, verse 9, when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and ceased. Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told all these sayings. Think about that. You've just rejected God's king. How's David going to respond? David said unto his men, Gird ye every man his sword. You already know what's going to happen, right? They girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men, 200 abode by the stuff. 
But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. There were a wall unto us both by night and day, and all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou will do, for evil is determined against our master and against all the household, for he is the son of Belial, that a man cannot speak to him. So Nabal's an unreasonable individual. A son of Belial means you're worthless individual. You're good for nothing. You're not profitable. And this is brought to Nabal's wife's attention. So in verse 18, Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves, two bottles of wine, five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched corn, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, go on before me, behold, I come unto you. But she told not her husband Nabal. And it was so, as she rode on the ass, that she came down by the covert of the hill, and behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. Now David said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him, and he hath requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. So David's going to go and destroy all the men. He's, hey, he's he's on his high horse ready to ready to go to battle. So verse 23, Abigail saw David. She hasted, light off the ass, and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. Fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thy audience. Hear the words of thy handmaid. Handmaid, let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thy handmaid, saw not the young men of the Lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now this blessing, which I handmaid had brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound to the bundle of life with the Lord thy God, and the souls of thine enemies them shall he sling out as the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass, and the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, shall appoint thee ruler over Israel. But this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord. Either thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dwelt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. Blessed be thy advice, Blessed be thou that hast kept me this day from shedding from shed blood, from avenging myself with thine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hast hasted and come to meet me, surely there had not been left unenabled by the morning any that pisseth against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him, said unto her, Go up in peace thy house, see I have hearkened to thy voice, and accepted thy person. So Obviously, it's not just food. In fact, if you continue to read the account, Nabal dies and David ends up taking Abigail to be one of his wives. But the role that food played, how am I going to appease David, was I'm going to bring him a great amount of food, that which he sought after. Why? Because food can appease, right? It can... It can bring people to a peaceful state. It can be powerful for good and for evil because food is that enjoyable. Think about Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 through 8. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee and put a knife to thy throat. 
If thou be a man given appetite, be not desirous of his dentities, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not for riches? Certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shall thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Look, food can be used to manipulate. It can be used for good or for evil. I mean, come on, folks. What is the first sin that happens in the scriptures? The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired. To make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, right? Genesis 3 and verse 6. Think about the power of food. Now look, it's not all bad. Sometimes the world around us will get us to go or desire to go to extremes. The world presents you should eat nothing or you should eat all that you want, right? I mean, it is amazing. If you're watching a sporting event, how many commercials will come on that have to do with food? <laughs> I mean, I know I watched the Cowboys and Eagles game on Sunday and man, the pizza commercials just make me hungry. And I'm sitting there and I'm working and, and we're watching Dallas beat Philadelphia. Woohoo! And, and I'm thinking, hey, you know what? These commercials are making me hungry. It's like food commercials and car commercials tend to tend to be on a lot during sporting events, or at least they were on Sunday noticeable to me, at least the food side of that. Oh, the world says indulge, right? Go get this pizza. And it never it never shows up or you never go and pick it up and it looks as good as on television. Have you ever seen those burger commercials? It's like this big juicy hamburger and it looks all amazing. And you go and you get it and it's like, it's not like it was on the commercial, right? I mean, it just happens to be that way. At least... That's been my experience. Maybe you've had different experiences, but that's been my experience. Whatever the world would have us to be, the Word of God is our standard, and the Word of God teaches us that food is not our enemy. Romans 14, 20 for meat, and that just means food, okay? Meat there isn't talking about, you know, steak or chicken and pork chops, just food. For food or meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Obviously, the context here, as well as the next verse that I'm going to use, is talking about authorized liberties. You can eat meats, especially in the context of that may have been offered to idols, as long as it doesn't offend somebody. 1 Corinthians 8, 8, meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Food is not our enemy. First Timothy 4, 1 through 8 says, The Spirit speaketh expressly, that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. Nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather the godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, hath the promise of life that now is, and of that which is to come. Food is not bad. Think about Jesus himself. You know, in Mark 2, 15, Jesus sat at meat in his house. Many publicans and sinners also sat together with Jesus' disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Luke 5, 29, Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. John 12, 1 and 2, Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, 
whom he raised from the dead there. They made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Food is not bad. I mean, yes, you need it to live, but you can also enjoy it. And I mean, just the idea of a great feast, right? I mean, November saw Thanksgiving, the idea of a table full of food. That's not sinful per se. I, when you think about food, I've rarely known people that look at food and think it's a bad thing unless, unless the world has implanted that in their minds. There's people out there, maybe you're one of them, that suffer from body image issues and the world has taught you that you have to have a certain BMI or, or this or that. Well, look, that's not all that it cracks up to be, right? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm into exercise. I, I exercise six days a week. But what did we just read in 1 Timothy 4.8? Bodily exercise profiteth little. I've known people that the doctor will say is grossly overweight that have lived to be old in age without many health problems. And I've known people that are physically fit that have just dropped dead or had other health issues over and over again. I've had more health issues in my quote-unquote healthy days than when I was walking around rather large. A lot more health issues, uh, part, part of which are brought on by exercise, injuries from exercise, right? It's like, come on. Uh, the doctors don't know everything. You, you often have to wonder why they're so focused on some things when the eye test tells you that it's not all completely accurate. When we look at things like this, when we talk about food, man, there's a balance, right? I think about cookies. Man, go over that YouTube page, go over that Rumble page. I'm telling you, Katrina has made some good cookies. And I ask her, free some of them, right? She does that so that they last longer, but also it helps me because I don't tell you what, I can just walk through the kitchen 20 times during the day and grab a cookie. Each time I walk through, next thing you know, I've eaten 20 cookies that day, which is a whole lot more than I want to be eating. Because who, who sits down and says, hey, just let me have a bite of that cookie? Or who just wants one cookie? Now, I say that. Uh, Katrina can be that way sometimes. She, she does some weird stuff. She cracks me up. There, there have been times where she's like, oh, I'm not going to eat that. Just let me smell it. I, I'm telling you, what, don't let me smell it. I'm going to eat it. And if there's a lot of it, I might eat it all, right? <laughs> there's there's pe different people. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you cannot. But November, December tends to be, in our culture here in the USA, months of indulgence. Then what happens on January 1st? I'm going to tell you what's funny. And and in times past, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen on December 26th and following this year, because I'm not a prophet. But in times past, that is generally when exercise equipment goes on sale. And you start seeing ads for gyms more than you did previously. Because our culture says indulge November, December, then feel guilty and make yourself the quote-unquote New Year's resolution to lose weight. Well, the indulgence leaves people typically on December 26th with two problems. Number one, their credit card bills. And number two, pants don't fit quite right. Not as loose as they were back in October. And it happens yearly to people. Now, here's really what we're going to talk about today. Those yummy cookies. They're not, they're not evil. Food in itself is not evil. Sweets aren't evil. Honey has been around for a long time, like we read, right? Who doesn't like honey? But, you know, the problem is overdoing it. Overdoing it. If you sit me down with a lot of food and I'm not paying attention, I can clean up. And then I feel terrible afterwards. So I have to pay attention. I mean, I remember back in my little bit heavier days, well, I'm going to say quite a bit heavier days, 
I'd sit down Monday night football game and I'd have a whole bag of, or a canister of chips and treats and you know those big Hershey bars? I'm not talking about <laughs> I'm talking about the big ones. And I'd eat all of it. And just sitting there watching a football game and and that's after we had dinner. It was just sit down and eat it. I mean, wow. What what was I doing? I was over doing it. I was overdoing it. I came to realize that I was overdoing it. The problem with our culture of indulgence, and it's not just relative to food, is that finding the balance of enjoying things without overdoing it. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 16, then verse 27, says, Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. Think about that. Eat it, but have a limit on how much you will eat. As much is sufficient or as much is enough, according to the abundance of it, is the way that that ought to be uh, understand, right? No, just have some point where it's like, okay, I'm going to stop. Verse 27 of Proverbs 25, it is not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. So don't overdo it. Now, what is that? I mean, that's subjective, right? I mean, the Lord's not giving you measurements. He's not saying this, this much is too much, right? He's not giving you some kind of physical, you're going to have to measure that and you're going to have to know yourself. We're going to talk about some things in this lesson that apply in general to all types of different things as it relates. And, you know, make us think a little bit, make us think a little bit. When are you going to be satisfied? Here's the thing about food. You can eat and five hours later, you're hungry again. And for some people, it might be a little bit more than that. For some people, it might be less than that. But if you eat right now as you're listening to this podcast, at some point, you're going to get hungry again, no matter who you are, etc. I, I, I've, I've met people that they just like to say anything contrary to a point. <laughs> it's like, hey, I don't get hungry five hours after. I can eat one meal a day. Good for you. I, I, I know particularly somebody that said that to me one time and I'm looking at their physical body and <laughs> if you're only eating once a day, you must be eating a lot once a day or your metabolism is gone because the person that said that to me, they definitely don't look like they're eating once a day unless they're eating like 7,000 calories for breakfast or whatever that meal is per day. But Sometimes people don't, we don't calculate things right. I want you to think about this. I know, I know of an individual, and as I talked to him more and more, I got to see the picture and pointed it out to him. Said, you know, oh, I can eat one meal a day and I'm fine. And I said, wow, that's, that's, that's something else. I mean, I, I typically eat uh, a protein bar or here, you know, as I'm recording this podcast today, I had egg whites and two pieces of wheat toast for breakfast, and I'm not going to eat again until dinner, and we're going to have some chicken with uh, some some taco-type stuff on it, some cheese, some onions, et cetera, et cetera, and I'm going to eat it with some nacho chips for dinner, and I'm going to probably abstain from dessert today, uh, so that's going to be all that I've had, so I, I'm pretty impressed somebody can eat once a day, and so I, I started asking them questions, well, so... You, you, you know, as you as you go through the day, you don't, you know, get a piece of candy or, you know, a piece of fruit. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, with my coffee, I, I might have a, a, a sweet treat, you know, not a lot, etc. And then talking to him a little bit more, it turns out they have a candy dish. And and as you talk to him a little bit more, you find out that, you know, throughout the day, there's a lot of snacking going on. I eat one meal a day. They didn't lie but they snack the rest of the day. You know what that is to us is it's a form of denial. Like 
you're not thinking about what you're doing. Same thing with credit cards, right? People say, yeah, I only use my credit card in an emergency situation. Then as you talk a little bit more, well, every once in a while, you know, uh, I get the points, so I use it for this, I get this. Well, what's your credit card bill? Oh, it's maxed out, so I, 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 pay, I try to pay it down, but, you know, I end up needing it again. Needing it for what? Oftentimes, we're not seriously considering that we're indulging and that we're going beyond what we, we need or even want to, to the point of too much, and we're paying higher prices for it. What do you think is going to happen? More is never going to satisfy us. That's the thing about carnality. And again, I am not saying it's sinful or wrong to eat or sinful or wrong to have nice things or sinful or wrong to you know, go out and splurge from time to time, but there has to be some degree of balance. When it comes to cookies, for example, I'm just going to use that as an illustration, okay? That's, that's the goal of this lesson. If I say, you know what? Those chocolate chip sandwich cookies, I'm just going to have five of them. I'm going to eat until I'm full. How long is that really going to last? Well, Proverbs 27.20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. I mean, five of those chocolate chip cookies... It's probably going to make me sick in my stomach today. But tomorrow, they're going to look good again. Ooh, them yummy cookies, right? I need to listen to God here. I'm never going to be satisfied. I'm going to see it, and I'm going to want more. Having it all, so to speak, what's that really amount to? Solomon, who had it all, said in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 and 11, Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of the Spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. When you have it all, what do you really have? Let's think about those cookies. How long's the pleasure last? I tend to... If you're looking at that picture on YouTube or or uh, or Rumble, and if you're if you want to find that, you can go to the wordsoftruth.net website, my website, and you can click on podcast and the YouTube link and and the Rumble link are there. Take you directly to the podcast page. I like those chocolate chip sandwich cookies, and I'll often twist it and pull it apart, and then there'd be icing on both sides, and that takes longer for me to eat that cookie rather than just bite it as the sandwich. Even doing that, the pleasure is very temporary. Tastes good just for a moment. And I'm not saying don't enjoy it. I mean, I'm going to enjoy some cookies. But I need to understand what ultimately happens to it. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 17. And the point here contextually is that they, the Jews were so focused on their tradition of washing pots and hands and food and, and the relative things. So Jesus is teaching against the primary problem. But the point he makes applies here. Do you not understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? What do you think that means? I mean, come on, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't need the explanation. You know that after you eat at some point in time, Human waste comes from, from what you eat, right? And you know if you eat a lot of cookies, you're going to have a little bit more waste than if you eat a lot of different foods like veggies and things that break down into water and so forth, so on. Proteins that come out in your urine uh, a lot, etc. The cookies, the pleasure is temporary. It's not, so don't eat cookies. It's just understand that as much as you desire, and the more you eat, you know, the effects that that can have on your body, on your pocketbook, etc., isn't gonna, the, the pleasure isn't gonna pay off in some kind of grand gesture. Food is not going to last forever, nor is the physical body that we eat that that food provides nourishment for. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and 13, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. 
All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. We got to think, how far is this going to go? If I eat, I'm just going to get hungry again, right? Ecclesiastes 6, 7, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not filled. I'm just going to be hungry again. Even beyond food, when am I going to be satisfied? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5, 10, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. This time of year focuses on get all you want. What's going to happen come January? I remember as a child, I'll tell you what, there was one toy that rarely made it to January for me. And I got it several times during my youth during this time of year. And that was remote control cars. Because for some reason, I'd crash those bad boys and, and it was over. It was like a death sentence. December 27th. What happened to your remote control car? Too many curbs. That's what often happened. Well, how long is it going to last? I really want it. I really, really, really want it. Now it's gone. What does that teach us? Does it teach us never enjoy anything because it's only temporary? No. But we ought to have the right approach and understanding that physical, carnal pleasure is just temporary. It is just temporary. That's why when we read in the scriptures that we're taught that godliness with contentment is great gain. Think about what Paul said to the evangelist Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here is the problem. People that want more and more and more are only going to end up hurting themselves. That is godly wisdom. You're only going to be able to enjoy it for so long, and then the temporary pleasure is gone. We, like the Apostle Paul that we're about to read his words, need to learn, whether it's cookies or whatever else, to be able to say, I'm content with this or with that, to be able to enjoy one as many as five. In Philippians chapter 4, He's writing to the saints in Philippi, and they're financially supporting him as he's doing the work of preaching the gospel. In Philippians 4, 9 through 20, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. Notice this. For I have learned, and whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I just want to stop here. You will be at great advantage in this world if you can be like Paul and learn to be content in whatsoever state you are. He goes on. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent one again, once again, under my necessity, not because I desire 
a gift, but I desire that fruit may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's just it. He says, I have what you sent, and I am full. Why can he say that? Because in whatsoever state he is, he is there with content. You know where he is right now? He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And he is content. And he's not in the American prison where he's out playing basketball and getting great medical care and enjoying television and getting a secular education and having three meals prepared every day, so forth and so on. He's in bonds, Philippians 1 and verse 13. Ancient times. Think about that. But he's content. He knows how to be content. Being good with little or much. So we need to understand not to measure the goodness of life by the amount of things that we have, whether it's money in the bank, earthly possessions, vehicles, clothing, sources of entertainment, whatever it is. Think about God's wisdom. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Whew. Man, this book has some wisdom in it, doesn't it? Think about how people would be so much happier if they could learn that. Some scriptural statements. Psalm 36, verse, I'm sorry, Psalm 37, verse 16. It says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Think about that. Verse 28 of Psalm 37. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. <laughs> Do I have that relationship with the Lord? The wicked might be rich. They may have great treasures. But my relationship with the Lord is what matters. What about the value of wisdom? Godly wisdom. Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. The man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all things thou canst desire are not compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. You know what you'll not find? Those kind of statements relative to earthly wealth or an abundance of anything. Because the abundance of anything still really is you have nothing. Because as you came into this world, you leave this world. You brought nothing in, you take nothing out, right? So John the Baptist's teaching, Luke 3.14, the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, what shall we do? You know, that's what John said. He said to them, do violence to no man, meaning not to shake down anybody. Don't be a crook. Neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. You know what happens to people in our culture? Learn that your co-worker is making more money than you and you get upset. Now, you liked your job yesterday, but you find out somebody else is making more money than you to do the same job or even less than job, or maybe they don't do as good of a job, but they're making more money. Now, the job that was fine to you yesterday, all of a sudden you hate it because you're not making what that person makes. Think about how our mentality gets robbed when we start thinking carnally. But what if you're the mindset of the Apostle Paul? Or like John just instructed, be content with your wages. I mean, yeah, we got bills to pay. You, 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 you know, myself personally, my income hasn't gone up, but my expenses have. Oh, I'm going to quit preaching the gospel. 
I'm going to go work at this place. No. Figure it out. That's what I'm going to do. Figure it out. Somehow, some way. Figure it out. Why? Nothing else matters. More money to be made out there doing other things? Absolutely. What's more important? Folks, what's more important? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, hey, listen, you got to know yourself. Back to the cookies. Here's what I know. I know if my wife leaves a plate full of cookies in the kitchen, I'm going to mindlessly graze on them throughout the day. Uh, I walk around, phone rings, I put an earpiece in, I, I walk around, talk on the phone to whoever's talking to me, talking about the scriptures, or mostly that's what most of my phone calls are like, and or spiritual things to some degree. And here's this plate with cookies on them. Oh, I'm going to grab one. Next thing you know, the plate looks a whole lot emptier than it did earlier in the day. Did you have a cookie? Yeah, I had a couple. You didn't have a couple. You had like 10. <laughs> you know, now that I'm getting older, there are things that can happen from eating 10 cookies, like diabetes, which runs in my family. Greater complications due to other health problems that genetically are in my family. So here's what I have to do and you need to do. You need to know yourself. You need to know how much is too much and how you can control what you need. In a context where the children of Israel were expected to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem, they'd come out of Babylonian captivity. But they'd reached a point where they just stopped doing what God wanted them to do and were focused more on their own lives. So in Haggai 1, 5, and then in verse 7, it says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. This is great counsel in every area of life. Consider your ways. Because I know that I will mindlessly eat those cookies. See, I'm not even enjoying them. Let's forget about the health benefits and everything else. I'm not even enjoying them. I'm just grabbing it because I'm walking by. I'd rather eat the cookie when I'm actually enjoying it, right? But I, I, I'll just mindlessly eat it. So I know myself. I don't want to walk through the kitchen if there's cookies there. I don't want them to be there. I don't want them to be readily accessible so that I can mindlessly eat them. And if they are, I want to make myself aware they're on the counter. Don't, don't, don't. I have to be alert. I have to be awake to the fact because I'm not even enjoying it. I'm just consuming it. What about you? Do you examine your ways? Do you know yourself? Don't justify things. See, that's, that's one of the big problems with human beings, right? Like I was talking about earlier, the person that says, I don't understand why I keep gaining weight. I only eat one meal a day. And the doctor says that, you know, my blood work shows that there's not a problem with this or with that or that. So I, I don't know what it is. But when you really talk to them, they eat one meal a day, but then graze on all types of things throughout the day. They just don't count that handful of peanuts or those multiple M&Ms or that one donut because they didn't sit down and eat it as a meal. So they're just kind of mindlessly grazing all day. And what that ultimately ends up being is a problem that occurs with man is we justify things. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkens unto the counsel is wise. We don't want to be that person who will put a spin on something. Right? Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Isaiah 5, 21. Be honest with yourself. Think about, you know, our, our lesson from Sunday in 1 Peter 2 where verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. What 
what I may need to fight against and what you may need to fight against may be entirely different. You know, maybe somebody listening to this podcast say, I don't have a problem with wanting things or I don't have a problem with wanting food. I have none of these issues. This doesn't apply to me. Examine yourself. What is it that you might need to control yourself in? Maybe it's the flip side of the coin. Maybe you're such a health nut that you don't ever enjoy life. Maybe that's a problem. Think about it. Look at yourself. That's not my job. My job is to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2. Your job is to take it and apply it. Know what war you're in and what you're doing or not doing that's making it harder for you. Whether it's cookies, money, possessions, knowing how to be content, pride, glory, earthly wisdom, carnal education. Think about those people that want to keep going back and getting extra degrees. Why? Because they want to have multiple doctorate degrees. That's their cookies, right? They're not content. Never going to be. Our Lord, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. When you can live this life and you can be happy with a cookie or without, when you can step back and say, this is what is good for me and this is what is not. I'm not telling you to listen to, to anybody who's giving you any... I'm, I'm not telling you five cookies is bad. And I'm not telling you one is enough. You need to know you. Whatever it is that looks yummy to you. No one enough is enough. Know how to step back and truly evaluate yourself. I thank you for listening. Glad you've tuned in. If all goes according to plan... Be back Sunday with another First Peter study. Until then, thank you and goodbye.